In an age of impersonal political campaigns, New Hampshire is one of the few places where people have a chance to meet the candidates as well as read about them. The New Hampshire Republican presidential primary is the start of the 1968 campaign trail. From the beginning, the candidate who really has been seen and heard by the people of New Hampshire is Richard Nixon. How did you fellows come up? You are about to accompany Richard Nixon on the first leg of his 1968 New Hampshire campaign. You'll be with the candidate, his family, and the Nixon staff. You'll hear what Richard Nixon had to say and what people said to him. <laughs> I heard all those tales about the necessities, woolies and everything. Long way here. Right. I'm glad to find some New Hampshire people. Right. Well, Arnold, how'd you get up here? the Eagles going to do next? Richard Nixon has talked about a new vision of America's future. He has said that 1968 is a time to begin that future. And the place to begin is in New Hampshire. On February 2nd, Richard Nixon held his first press conference of the 1968 presidential campaign in Manchester, New Hampshire. Tell us why you feel that you can win now when you couldn't win in 60. I have decided that I will test my ability to win and my ability to cope with the issues in the fires of the primaries and not just in the smoke-filled rooms of Miami. The Nixon schedule for the next three days would include a reception, a dinner speech, and conversations with people about issues in public and on television. In 1968, I'm looking to the future of this country, down to the end of the 20th century. In 1960, I necessarily had to think of the past, also of the future, but to think of the past and to defend it. And in 1968, as you gentlemen will hear in my speeches starting Saturday night, I'm going to be talking about America's future, my vision of that future, and what I think I can do with the years of experience I've had behind me. got a candidate, he looks like a candidate, and uh, he looked like a president. What will this campaign have that uh, previous campaigns haven't had? Any new things? I think it will, as a matter of fact. Uh, I think it's preeminently going to have a view of the future, and a vision which has been lacking, has been woefully lacking in the last few years. Uh, it's going to have a, a long look down the last third of the century, to the year 2000, and I think this is this is important, and he thinks it's important because we're at now one of those critical turning periods when uh, the decisions that are made in the next four, the next eight years, the term of the next president, will very largely determine the whole sweep of this last third of the century, just where we go and how we get there. And this is the kind of a choice that the public has got to make this year. As we begin to meet you, we're just so delighted to be here, and. Uh, to find that you put on such a warm California day for us. Yeah. And, uh, 
but uh, so that you know who we are, I think you will know uh, Pat, my wife, of course, and this is Julie, and this is Patricia. And uh, we'll be delighted to meet all of you. We hope you can all stay so that we can greet you personally. Thank you very much. governor down there and, uh, and uh, fine senators and uh, well, well, a lot of those people. fine right? president yeah. coming along. shake all that are here and uh, he always does he never leaves until after they've all been uh, shaken and he'll have to sign autographs for a while so it'll, it'll take a few minutes now what, what are you actually doing here for identifying people or what are you doing no I, i'm his personal aide and i uh, just help take care of him and uh, help out wherever he wants me to if somebody comes up uh, <coughs> important or has, uh, or has a whose name he isn't sure of do you tell him what it, who he is or do you... yes if i know the person many times we don't and uh but he'll remember, it's amazing, he remembers and recalls people from, uh, well, he, one lady, for example, he had seen in 52 when he campaigned in uh, New Hampshire, and uh, he recognized her and uh, mentioned what kind of day it was when they met last time. So. Must have knocked her out. Yeah, she, they're always surprised when he does that. That's about the only Polish I know, and the word for friendship. He did it again, and uh, some man came up and said, I met you in 52, and he said, yes, we had our picture taken. The guy said, yes. <laughs> it seems to me to be a pretty magnificent turnout. I think that, uh, I'd estimate at least we've had somewhere in the neighborhood of six, 700 go by already, and uh, I would estimate they'll probably have more than 3,000 before the afternoon is over. Oh, are these people all uh, Republicans, or are they a mixture, or what do you think? Uh, I couldn't say, looking out here. You can't tell a Republican from a Democrat or an Independent out here, but uh, I would assume it's really just uh, a good cross-section of the people of Manchester, frankly. Uh, I was just wondering how many of these people you think are going to be, uh, are, are essentially sympathetic to Mr. Nixon? How many are kind of voters? Well, uh, we don't know how many coming in, but we hope they all will be going out. Oh, yes. With complete faith in him. I think he's the man for us today. I think you, he'll do it this time. Do you judge a man by his handshake? No, no. By his past actions. I was very, very uh, sincere, very warm, very nice. It was a pleasure. I think he's a very well-rounded person. 
appealing more and more to the younger generation and to the young, more people, which is the most important part. I feel anyone's better than Johnson. Yes, I think he's improved. There you are, there's three. How's that? One, two, three, that's two. All right. How are you doing? You a friend of Dave? You tell me, is this fellow is a good chairman up here? I'm He's trying a to get very good fellow. Tell every, me what you, what you, really, you really think so? Huh? I really think so. Yeah. He's a good guy. All right, good, good. Well, as a matter of fact, that's, uh, that's what we hear. We got a, uh, a lot of people said, well, he's too young to be chairman. And I said, well, uh, we, uh, we need a fellow that's sort of a goer. Would you agree? I will agree 100%, yeah? yes, sir. Good. Are you on his payroll? No, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm retired. All right. You were in the service? Yeah. Uh, uh, you were in the first one. What? The big one. The big right? That's a, what I... Yes, right. What division were you in? Where the the uh, 73rd Division. 73rd heavy, division. heavy artillery. Heavy artillery. Battery, oh, yeah, the big battery. Battery B, 73rd Artillery. Yeah, the seven, those were the French 75s you used, weren't yeah, we, they? We used the... Or did you have another kind of a... We trained on the naval guns. Oh, the naval guns, right? The, big guns. the coast artillery, the sure. Coast, I was sure. in New Hampshire. Well, gee, you know, it's hard to realize we've had so many wars since then. We thought that was the end of the last one, and then we had World War II, and then we had Korea, and now we got Vietnam. Let's hope we can get rid of them, huh? <laughs> Let's do something. Let's do something. Right. <laughs> Good to see you. Awful nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. What? Richard Nixon's interest in people, what they think, what they do, and the questions they ask are the basis of Nixon's television conversations. You notice that uh, in the uh, television uh, material that's been put together, an effort has been made to uh, put Mr. Nixon in front of uh, a panel of uh, people. Now, he's never met these people before. Uh, he walks on cold. He's meeting them for the first time. The panels are heterogeneous. Some are uh, Republicans, some are Democrats, some are independents. Uh, one panel is an agricultural group, another panel is uh, a youth group, another panel is a business group. Television is a vital political meeting place. To be successful, a candidate must use the medium and use it well. Richard Nixon prefers informal, no-holds-barred discussions. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Where are you from? Right here. Right here. Mr. Bohannon? Yeah. I'm an dairy. Dairy, yes. Yeah, we, you still have a few cows. Oh, yeah, we can find yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Athens. I heard they were, Nixon. most of them were gone. Yeah, that's perfect. We've heard a lot. We've heard a lot about your uh, surplus of fine products, but if Dave in a short time is going to be a shortage instead of a surplus. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, people shouldn't shouldn't be screaming about the surplus. We should be thankful we got it, because as a matter of fact, too, and we uh, that's another thing we can we can make a far greater use of that surplus in our foreign policy. I think it's a great. Wouldn't get money for it. It's a great weapon for peace. We can use it effectively. I have a rule about press conferences that uh, some of my professionals on my staff don't agree with. I never plant questions, uh, and I know that most people do. I say most, many do. 
I'm not sure that most do. Uh, the reason I don't plant them, however, is that the answer then is contrived. Uh, nobody's going to get away with a question where you say, now, I'd like to have this question asked. The other thing is this. Uh, I also have a feeling that, generally speaking, where the question is hard and strong and tough, not belligerent, but strong and tough, it gets a better answer. Uh, always save me from what I call the easy questions, where somebody's trying to help me, because the average viewer or listener to that kind of a question says, uh-uh, that's a patsy. That's one of his friends. And just to restate this question, why, why do you want to do this? It's such a man-killing thing, and, and uh, you've already put, uh, put in time. You've already served your country. Well, that's a question that, uh, believe me, has occurred to me, too, uh, and it occurs to my family. Uh, I suppose that uh, your wife and your children uh, uh, feel even more deeply about uh, their father and husband being involved in a great battle than he himself does, because... Uh, the man who's in the battle, uh, he can fight back, uh, can answer, whereas those on the sidelines have to suffer in silence. Uh, but on the other hand, the reason that I think perhaps motivates me more than anything else is very simply this. I feel that this is the period in the history of the United States in which what we do or fail to do can determine the future of peace and freedom for the balance of this century. We didn't ask for this, uh, but it is a role that has been placed upon us because of the power that we have and the vacuum of power in Western Europe, which previously had this burden. I believe the dangers of World War III abroad, the dangers of civil war, uh, our approaching civil war in a very difficult sense at home, and other problems are greater than this country has ever had. But on the other hand, I believe that never in our nation's history have we had more capability to handle these problems. In other words, the forces that can bring peace and avoid war, the forces that can unite America and reconcile America and bring progress in our cities, are now stronger than they have ever been if they're just brought into play. What we need is leadership. Leadership that will take America's great, uh, harnessed power uh, and unharness it and put it to work on the unfinished business at home and the unfinished business abroad. Uh, I, by the accident of where I have been, I've been a congressman, a senator, eight years at the highest level as vice president, seven years to travel around the world many, many times and to think about these problems. By reason of that experience, uh, I have thought deeply and have reached some conclusions as to what we ought to do to keep the peace abroad and to restore peace at home. Uh, and I think that in the presidency, I would have an opportunity to put some of those conclusions into practice, and that's the reason why I've decided to seek the office. There has been a lot of criticism of President Johnson, some of it justified, much of it petty and unjustified. There are those that don't like his accent, and there are those that don't like his style. And there are others that don't think he comes over too well on TV. <laughs> I know how he feels. <laughs> but my friends, the issue in 1968 is not the Johnson personality, but the Johnson policies. 
And I say whether you look at America's record abroad or at home, this is not a time to continue with Lyndon Johnson. It's time for new leadership under a Republican president and a Republican administration. It is time to begin. Lyndon Johnson says, let us continue for four more years. This is my answer. When the strongest nation in the world can be tied down for four years in a war against a fourth-rate military power in Vietnam with no end in sight, when the richest nation in the world cannot manage its own economy, when a nation with the greatest tradition of the rule of law is torn apart by lawlessness, when a nation which has been a symbol of equality of opportunity is torn apart by racial strife, when the President of the United States cannot travel at home or abroad without fear of a hostile demonstration, then I say it's time for new leadership in the United States of America. Ideas are important to Richard Nixon. He seeks them from a variety of sources. His staff represents a wide range of interests, backgrounds, and beliefs. And they are all young. Well, one of the great things about my staff is its youth. Uh, it's the youngest staff that a presidential candidate has ever had. And, uh, even, well, perhaps even younger than uh, John Kennedy's staff when he ran for the presidency, although his also was a young staff. And this is good. It's good for me because it bridges the gap, the generation gap, although my daughters, 19 and 21, help to do that. Uh, they and their boyfriends that they bring home uh, the dinner. Uh, but apart from that, we live in a young nation and in a young world. Half the people in the world right today were born after World War II. Uh, and I, who fought in that war uh, and who was part of that generation, need to know what these people are thinking. Uh, we live in a world that's looking to the future rather than to the past. And so this young, vigorous, intelligent, exciting staff of mine uh, keeps me involved in the problems of the future and also keeps me from turning too much to the past. On February 5th, Richard Nixon left New Hampshire to address several thousand students at Wisconsin State University. Nixon would return to New Hampshire but before he did, he would initiate his campaign in Wisconsin. The primary in that state is only three weeks after the New Hampshire primary. The demands of a national political campaign had begun. Mrs. Nixon, just how do you feel starting out on another campaign? You've been on quite a few yourself, haven't you? Yes, I have, but they're always exciting. And the one that started in uh, New Hampshire couldn't have been more so. I think even the local people were surprised at the enthusiasm and the size of the crowds and the wonderful spirit of the people. Well, now, these are very exhausting experiences. Uh, do you have a couple of qualms in the back of your mind about having to face uh, so many months of this? No, actually, I've done it so many times that uh, I don't, and also my heart is in it. I'm a willing volunteer, I might say. Is there anything about this campaign that you already sense is different from other campaigns in the past? 
Well, not yet. There is enthusiasm. There always has been. But I feel that there's even more. And also uh, by the mail that we receive, I feel that way. I think people now want a man of experience. And they uh, also want a man of principle who has... Uh, and I think that fits my husband. <laughs> You're in a campaign because you want to do something about the problems of the country and the problems of the world in which the country is involved. But from your own personal point of view, uh, is there a special joy in politics and campaigning that, uh, that you find a, a deep personal satisfaction uh, from that goes beyond what you might be able to do for the country? You say this, I wouldn't be doing it. I wouldn't be going through this unless I enjoyed doing it. I enjoy the meeting people, discussing issues, uh, fighting for my positions, uh, arguing about them, refining them, debating them. Once in the battle, then there is nothing which quite equals the excitement of the battle. You're the, uh, are you the queen of the Packers, too? Oh, I sure hope so. Quite a warm day. <laughs> Especially in Green Bay in February. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after seeing that game on TV. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they told, me, they told me to wear those long underwear. I, I can't stand them. They scratch me. But, uh, Dreyfus, all of the distinguished guests on the platform and the distinguished members of the audience, it's a very great privilege and an honor for me to be here just prior to the Winter Carnival. I say prior to it, I'm afraid if I got here during the Carnival, somebody would ask me to ski. I... I remember the first time I met Bob Hope uh, in, the, <laughs> in the year 1952, right after having been nominated for the vice presidency. And uh, we were sitting at a, together at a dinner, and the photographers came up, and uh, they said, look at each other. You know, that's how they are. They wanted to get you in some silly pose. Those are the only ones they'll use, at least with me in them. Anyway, <clears throat> they... And so we finally turned to each other, and Bob Hope, with that wonderful humor of his, incidentally, he has writers, but he can think, too. He said, you know, Senator, when we get our noses together, what a wonderful ad for Sun Valley. <laughs> Just to set the record straight on skiing, I 
I did try it once, but I'm not going to try it now. I have only one knee to give to my country. Now, let me come directly to the subjects of interest. And perhaps what I can do at the outset is to lay a framework, a frame of reference, so to speak, for the questions that I'm sure will follow. Yes, it is a difficult world. And you inherited it, and you didn't create it, and those of us who did create it made a lot of mistakes. But the exciting thing is, you can change it. You have the power to change it. The world is changing. It's looking for change. The old isms no longer have their appeal. Communism, socialism, Marxism, yes, even what we call Americanism, no longer has the magic appeal that it used to have. The world is looking for the new leadership and the new ideas. And what you do can change the world. And I say to you today, as you go through your studies and as you look at the prospects of the draft and all the other things which I know hang over some of the men here, as well as the fears that perhaps some of the girls may have with regard to that matter, I can say to you, look at the other side. Never has a generation lived in a more exciting time or in a more exciting place than America. And now we're going to find out how exciting because you're going to ask some very exciting questions. Thank you. Mr. Vice President, uh, I understand that yesterday... No, oh, Hubert's coming next week. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, former Vice President Nixon. That's all right, sir. <laughs> I understand... I've been called everything. That's all right. <laughs> um, Mr. Nixon, uh, in describing uh, the approach in this campaign, a lot has been said about uh, a new Mr. Nixon. How do you feel about that? Well, my wife says I've got less hair than I've had before. You know, the hairline goes back a bit here and there. Uh, and, of course, I'm, uh, I'm older. I'm, uh, I'm 55, which is, of course, uh, seven years older than I was when I ran before, 1960. Uh, and, of course, I'm more experienced. I know more. I won't make as many mistakes as I might have made had I been elected in 1960. Uh, of course, others discover that I uh, perhaps have a sense of humor, uh, which I think I've always had, but perhaps people didn't see it. Uh, others discover uh, other things that they seem to find for the first time. Let me just answer it this way. Of course, I have changed, uh, but also perhaps the people who are looking at me have changed also. Uh, they're looking for a new leadership in this country, and they're taking a fresh look at what I may have to offer. And I, of course, am presenting a new case that I was unable to present and did not present in 1960. To that extent, yes, I am new, but in another sense, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm really the most difficult man in the world when it comes to a so-called public relations firm. Nobody's going to package me. Uh, nobody's going to make me put on an act for television. I'm not going to engage in any gimmicks or any stunts, wear any silly hats, uh, do something for the purpose of getting a publicity picture or the rest. 
I, I am not an actor. I'm not a good actor. I'm just going to be myself. And so when people say to me that uh, I've got to change myself, take lessons about how to stand, uh, how to talk, how to act, the look in the mirror, listen to my voice on uh, radio, look at myself on television, the answer is I never have and I'm not going to start now. If there is anything I do have to offer to the American people and to leadership as far as our view and our role in the world is concerned, it's the fact that I believe deeply in what I say uh, and that I am myself, and I'm going to continue to play that role. If people looking at me say that's a new Nixon, then all that I can say is, well, maybe you didn't know the old Nixon. Thank <laughs> you.